And uh, today's episode is titled "How to." Oh my gosh! Can anybody else? Can you hear that, Alicia? I hear somebody. It's a it's I a little kid voice. slamming the toilet. Is what it is. <laughs> over and over and over, like you know, no poop. You get back in there. <laughs> you, you never come back up again. Um, hey, what happened to our theme music? Didn't we have some theme music? Um, yeah, I haven't figured out how to do it on Facebook Live. I. I figured we got into this whole groove of, well, hold on. First of all, today's show is called uh, How to Trust God During Difficult Times. I haven't figured out how, since we got this whole good groove going where we just basically start and we go, we're good. Like before we used to take five minutes troubleshooting all the technical issues. Um, I just have to spend a little time trying to figure out how to do it and then test it a couple times with you so that we don't revert back to our old ways. Before we took became us, big took shots. Us 28 episodes, but we're getting it down. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> Thing kids are slamming the toilet. Anyway, so um, today's show is episode number 28, and it's called How to Trust God in Difficult Times. And uh, first, we always start with announcements. Uh, first announcement is that I finished the second series. This Well, Diane and I both finished the um, second season of This Is Us. And I have to say that this is a, really an amazing show. It's a very soap opera-ish type show almost. I mean, it's it's a very... Um, it, very it can dramatic. Be, yes, very dramatic. Oh, you've seen it? or I've seen pieces. I'm not... All the fans that are watching are going to not like this, but I, I've seen pieces. I'm going to move this. Uh, keep going. So I'm kind of in the club. But, but have you seen bits and yeah, pieces? Like or yeah, just, yeah, like I know the different families. I can't remember everybody's name, but Val Cortez, hello. Hello. Welcome back. Welcome. <laughs> um it's awesome. It actually is. I mean, I think if you watch the first couple of episodes, uh it's it's a bit confusing. Once you get into it and start to learn the characters, you become really attached to them. And honestly, um as a dude who normally normally doesn't watch girly shows. Sometimes I can get into stuff, um, you know, but anyway, it's, it was, it was really fantastic. And I, I think that I'm going to actually end up probably using some examples today um, to, you know, talk about our topic, but uh, in a nutshell, what's, what's most fascinating about this show is that um, it's almost like a very honest look at the, at the struggles that normal people go through, you know, and TV shows, you, you, you have extravagant things, you know, superpowers, you know, that somebody gets accidentally or something. Um, or like, I don't know, somebody's always going through these really insane things that we don't really ever, we can't relate to. And I think that this show is, is a show that many people can relate to. Um, it's a show it's about, life. yeah, it's, it's like, it's about life and death, relationships, marriage, um, having babies, what it's like to raise children. And it goes, it, follows a family who's going through all these particular things. And I feel like, again, like this is a real, this is what real families go through. Um, what you know, you know that you have, you have siblings that are going through these kinds of things and your parents have this kind of, you know, baggage that um, sometimes affects your growth and development. And you carry some of these things on. And when you get married, you fight about some of these things and you, you know what I mean? So it, it really is. Um, it's a very honest and, and open look at, at people who on the outside probably seem very normal. Um, but on the inside, you get to see all the things that they go through. Um, and they're just, 
the directors or producers or whatever are just fantastic storytellers. They're amazing at interweaving between the past, you know, the, the parents past and then the, the kids lives and then their adulthood. And it's just, it really is a fantastic show, but you came up with the idea for today's show, uh, which we titled as how to trust God during difficult times. But the reason we titled it that is because today is, and you can take it from here because I had no idea. Actually, I'm a, I'm a bad Catholic. Go ahead. Today is the solemnity of the Annunciation, which for whether you're Catholic or not, um, for anyone who is not aware, is the celebration and remembrance of the day that uh, the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, you're going to be a mom and not just any ordinary mom. Um and uh, Mary said, yes, I'll, I'll be the mother of Christ, our Lord. And um, it's funny, we always say that she, she said yes, but it wasn't like she was really asked. It was kind of like, hey, this is what's going to happen. And she said, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in a really, really big way. So um, Marcus and I decided to talk about uh, the times when it's really hard to say yes to the will of God because... I don't know about you guys, but I can't imagine any proposition that would be more difficult to accept than that one. Um, but, you know, that's not our calling. That was Mary's calling. So we're going to talk about times uh, when it's hard to say yes or, you know, maybe it's not necessarily yes, but just some sort of acceptance, um, just like Mary had to do. Yeah, and this is these are the times where I think that um, being Catholic or, or you know, the, the Catholic rituals that many people are suspect of um, become very uh, helpful and fruitful for us, you know, because if you pay attention to what, what's actually going on, um, so many people look at the Catholic rituals and they, they see them as just these, you know, simply ritualistic um, kind of uptight, you know, ceremonial things that, uh, you know, you have to you know, perform in order to be a good Catholic. And really what they are is opportunities to reflect. The Catholic Church specifically gives us opportunities to remember things that are supposed to help us, you know, uh, develop our spirit, right? Um, so we celebrate Christmas every year, not because it's a ritual that we have to perform to to be good Catholics or to be good Christians, because but because every year, you know, around the same time, we know to expect that, hey, this is a time that we go into reflection about the birth of Jesus, right? Um, whether it happened on December 25th or not is kind of irrelevant because what we're supposed to be doing is remembering the event, but also reflecting on what that event means for us and what we can, uh, you know, uh, how we can use it to further our faith in our relationship with God. And this is kind of, this is one of those, those opportunities where we're not simply praising Mary here for saying yes, even though that's, there's definitely that aspect of it. Um, but we're also remembering the example that she set for us. And this is why we titled the show, how to get, you know, through difficult times, trust in God, because uh, everybody has, you know, opportunities where, they can trust God without knowing what's about to happen or what's going on or why something's happening. Or 
they can choose, you know, the opposite, which is to allow um, trials and tribulations to cause them to doubt and to really um, allow it to rupture their relationship with God and then separate them from God. And so I've gone through times like that in my life. Many of them, in fact, um, I was never once asked if I would uh, carry a baby, you know, that would save the world. Um, but sometimes you feel like you're being asked things that will actually change your life and, um, you know, be a significant uh, burden or something that you have to carry, you know. And so uh, I remember one of those things very well. And one of those things being uh, when Diane told me that she was saving her next kiss for marriage and that I'd have to take on that promise as well if I wanted to have a relationship with her. And that was one of those times where I was like, whoa, wait a second. I, you know, I, <laughs> I mean, before, after I got up over the initial shock of like, what in the world is she talking about? Uh, I was thinking to myself, how would I do something like that? Even if I wanted to, even if I decided to say yes, how would I do something like that? Because what in my mind, I was thinking of not just like a particular instance of sacrifice or suffering, but a period of it that I wasn't sure one, I wanted to commit to, but two, that I could even sustain, you know, what if we're together for days and I'm like, Oh, like I gotta, I gotta kiss her. I have to kiss her. You know, like, okay, maybe I can get over that. Um, what if we're together for weeks or months or years? What in the world am I going to do if we can't kiss? You know, and I'm, when she told me about that, my, initial reaction was to think about the commitment that it was going to require of me. And obviously my first reaction was, no, I don't want to do that. There's no way I want to do that. And there's no way I think I can do that. Um, but luckily Diane was strong enough to give me a, an ultimate uh, or an ultimatum that said, Hey, take it or leave it. You got two choices. You have a relationship with me and then there's no kissing or there's no relationship. And she was so fascinating to me at the time. She allowed me to get close to her and to, you know, really fall for her. Um, and because she was so fascinating, I felt like not having a relationship with her sounded worse, you know, like a worse commitment. You know, I could spend days, weeks or months or years not knowing her and not ha being able to have a relationship with her. Um, and that sounded worse than having a relationship where we didn't kiss. Plus, I held out a little bit on the hope that I could you know, sway her opinion a little bit or smooth talk her out of it, even if it took me a couple hours. Um, <laughs> so, but anyway, yeah, you know, there, there, that was one of the, um, one of the primary kind of, uh, not, not primary. Th that was one of the, the biggest instances of my life where something big was asked of me and without feeling like I could do it without really wanting to do it, um, I went ahead and said yes, um, and when I did that, a lot of things really changed for me, you know, and you know the story, many people know the story from there, but I feel like a lot of the heavy lifting of a lot of the things that, you know, my the, the ways that my life changed, the way that Diane and I built a relationship, um, our marriage, and now our parenthood was very much built off of that one day where I just said yes, you know, without knowing what was going to happen or that it, uh, without any kind of confidence that I even could do it. Uh, I said yes. And I said, I'll give it a shot. 
And from there, I think I probably, or I know I received many, many graces um, that I'm still um, living off of, you know? And I think that that's the way that I see the enunciation that, you know, Mary wasn't, I don't know that she was this like extremely confident, you know, strong character that was just like, oh, that's easy. I, I got that. You know, like you just want me to carry the baby for nine months and, and then raise him and then, you know, um, watch him as he goes out and, and evangelizes, changes the world and, and gets crucified, like no big deal. I think she probably had a lot weighing on her and probably thought about the same things. Like, you know, what about, what if I say yes? And then, you know, a couple of days or weeks in to this pregnancy, I'm, I'm not so sure that I want to do this. What if, uh, you know, what if people start to see me differently and question and, and doubt that, you know, this is actually what happened. And what if I get exiled? I, I don't know who knows what kind of things went through her mind or what kind of fears that she had. But what the reason why the Catholic church celebrates Mary so much, um, is not because of the, the power and confidence that she had, but the willingness to say yes and to give it a shot, right? The willingness to essentially be open and trust God. And I don't know that, you know, that's that's not something I could necessarily say for myself when I said yes to Diane. Um, but from there, I can I can definitely guarantee you that there were many instances where I had to trust that God was leading us in our relationship and that, um, you know, everything was, was falling into place as it should have. And again, you know, you know, the story from there, we, we got married, we have four kids, we have a wonderful life. Um, and now we do thirsting for truth, which, um, all again came from that, that one moment, but the same with Mary, um, we celebrate her because of her willingness to be open and to trust that, uh, you know, God knows what he's doing. And if he's asking something of me, then it must mean that I can, I can do this. Right. So how about you? Do you have any kind of, you know, uh, either it doesn't have to be big moments. It could be small moments where you, you can relate. Yeah. It's definitely hard to top that one. Um, but yeah, I've which one Mary, you can't, sorry. <laughs> or yours, <laughs> your story with Diane. Um, I don't have any, um, huge moments like that. Um, I have, some smaller moments that I can think of where, you know, maybe I've been dating somebody and I knew that um, this wasn't somebody that I wanted to continue dating. And I'm sure there are several people listening who can, can relate to this. And I was like, Oh, how am I going to end this? But it wasn't necessarily um, something that I had to say yes to. It was just something that I actually had to do. Um, it wasn't really a proposition that was presented to me, but an action that I had to take that I knew was the right decision and uh, something that definitely required prayer. I can remember a couple of those instances. Um, but uh, by the way, can your, can your neck hear? Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you have like one right here and like one over here. Yeah. Well, that's because I have another ear down there, but now, yeah, now everybody <laughs> knows. Thanks. I was trying to keep can, a secret. Anyway, it's um, called the near, but whatever. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> the show's just it's getting too weird. No, no, it fell. Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> you saw that, huh? Yeah. And then, um, I guess on a smaller note, you know, whenever I was in school, which I'm not anymore, but um, I hated studying. I always hated studying. 
And I did I did pretty well, I'll say that. I just I didn't want to sit down and spend the time and read the book or whatever it was. And it's funny now because now that I'm not in school, all those things that you didn't want to do, like now I want to take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> I would love a nap every day. Um I would <laughs> I love to read, um, if I have the time to. Those kinds of things. All those things that I didn't want to do that seemed impossible. Now not only are they possible, but I want to do them. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Yep. So but that that actually is is an interesting um thought that that I just kind of arrived at. Um uh, we of course don't have well actually I guess we do have some proof of this after um after Mary says yes, um she has her what do they call it? The Magnificat? Oh yeah. Her her declaration of joy. So yep, that's called the Magnificat. Even though it was something that was impossible and she was probably very scared, she was also joyful to do so. Um so Yeah. No, I mean that is so um before we go any further, Ian Dunois, who was on the show uh last week and um he held himself uh very well, um uh, or held his own, you know. Yeah. And uh, so thanks, Ian, for, for filling in for Alicia last week. So he said, in case anyone was curious uh, why we celebrate Christmas on December 25th, there is a link right there, catholic.com. Um, if for whatever reason you're not in a place where you can write this down, uh, you could probably just search catholic.com, uh, why December 25, and you'll find it. So, or you can yes. also look up our podcast later. You, that's also a great idea. Good job, Alicia. <laughs> So I'm here um, um, yeah, so, oh, go ahead. Did you have something else? I was just going to say that in, in case anybody was wondering, um, the Annunciation is not a holy day of obligation today because it is after, it is a Monday after Sunday, the holy day of obligation, which was, mm. as you know, Divine Mercy Sunday yesterday, so... Um, it can be a holiday of obligation, but it was not this year in the United States. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I've I never can't. actually looked up what what days are, because we are governed by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops in that regard. So I wonder if it's always a holiday of obligation somewhere else. I don't know. If anybody else knows, let us know. Yeah, speaking of no, um, a different spelling, Ian uh, has another great comment here. He says, interesting note, Satan said no to God, and Blessed Mother always said yes, which is why she's hated so much by Satan and other fallen angels. So I'm going to go a little techie here for just a second. I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about a book that I'm currently writing uh, called Hacking Theology. The subtitle is How Technology Reveals God to Us. And uh, wow, Ian is on fire. Hold on. He says, originally is March 25th because it fell on Holy Week. It was moved. Wow. This guy. Wow. <laughs> Either he's, he knows what he's talking about, he knows his stuff, or he is fast at Googling. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, so this this book that I'm writing, um, there's a lot of a lot of, uh, you know, elements to it. I think I, I may have mentioned it before. You know, one of the biggest reasons I'm writing it is I'm trying to help demonstrate how uh, technology is very theological, you know, that um, I think that those who understand technology 
like really, really understand it. They know a whole lot about philosophy and theology, a lot more than they know that they know. Um, and it just needs to be sort of unpacked for them. It needs to be related and, you know, demonstrated why certain things that they know to be true in, in say mathematics or computer science, um, you know, the, the theology behind it, you know, um, we, we struggle with certain things in theology, like for example, um, prayer, you know, a lot of people might say, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, how can, you know, I close my eyes or, or whatever, and just sort of communicate up to God or whatever. Well, a hundred years ago, nobody could have imagined that we could be doing this. I could be speaking into a, a little piece of metal that vibrates and takes that vibration, you know, down a line and you're 1600 miles away right now. And everybody else who's watching this can be dispersed all over the country or, or the world. And so nobody could have imagined that that would have been possible uh, to that, you know, we could communicate physically uh, and here we are. With, without regard to distance. And yet here we are exactly. And so I've actually sometimes wondered um, if prayer itself has a particular frequency, um, you know, and just like, I mean, we have wireless communication. So you know, people might say, yeah, but that's wired. And, you know, we're all connected, but we have wireless communication now too, right? We can actually, our voices, uh, hold on a second. This is wireless. I'm in a, I'm on a computer and I am not connected to my internet here at home. It's actually wirelessly, you know, streaming my voice across to my router and then pick, taking it to you. So um, anyway, but what I was going to, the reason I brought that up is because Ian's comment uh, was very timely. They're talking about, you know, Mary saying yes and Satan saying no. And that really being the difference between them. A lot of people, if you don't know, you know, uh, theology or the, um, some of the core principles of, of the Catholic or Christian faith, um, Satan was a fallen angel. He was a very beautiful angel endowed with great beauty and power and intelligence uh, who fell from grace because he essentially said, no, I will not serve. And this is, you know, who Satan is. Um, so what's cool about computer science, and many people sort of know this, is that you have uh, computer, computers are, are based off of or, or reduced um, to something called binary which is two numbers. You have one and you have zero. So if you've seen like matrix type stuff, I, at some point this this analogy or this example is gonna be lost on a lot of young people who are like, what's the matrix? But, <laughs> you know, I don't know. So anyway, so that that style of, you know, uh, the matrix, they used to like stream little digital numbers across the screen and, and the whole world was made up of these little numbers. Well, binary actually does make up everything in, in computers, all data, this, my voice, this video, um, the website and all of that stuff is crammed. It's reduced down into a set of, or a string of ones and zeros. And all you have is either a one, there's no spoon. That's what Ian says. It's correct. Um, don't even get me started with that. stuff. Okay. So hold on before we get, yeah. Cause there's the matrix matrix is, is actually pretty awesome with all this stuff. Anyway, but the the com uh, computers being reduced down to a string of ones and zeros tells a, a very in or uh, helps us to understand a very interesting philosophical principle, which is that in computers everything is built off of choice. 
The reason we have one and zero is because we need two choices in any kind of computer program. There's always two choices. Is a thing there or is it not there? Um, for a movie or a picture, right? A little tiny pixel, is that pixel black? Or is that pixel black? Yes or no? Is it blue? Yes or no, right? So essentially what happens is that we go through a string of yeses or nos, yes or no, yes or no. And the entire internet, computers, all the pictures and videos that you have in your computer right now, uh, my voice being recorded, all of that stuff is stored as a string of yeses or nos. Everything. Isn't that amazing? Like fascinating that all this data that we have in our computers is built off of either a yes or a no or a series of yeses or nos. Much like all of life is built off of a series of yeses or nos, right? Your entire day is a series of choices. You get up in the morning, do you take a shower? Yes or no, you know? Um, hopefully yes, every day. Or maybe you did the night before, no big deal. Um, do you brush your teeth? Yes or no, you know? Do you, um, do you leave at this particular instance? Yes or no? Or do I wait and make myself some breakfast? Yes or no? Everything you do in your entire day is a series of choices, um, which is very, very significant because in morality, morality must involve a choice. Mm -hmm. the, the basis of morality is choice. And we've talked about this before, I think, right? The, um, the idea of the uh, tree in the garden of Eden, mm -hmm. right? Why did God put that tree there? Mm -hmm. Because he had to give them choice. You had to give them a one or a zero, essentially, right? Like you couldn't have the computer without one zeros. Um, and you couldn't have uh, freedom without the tree of life because, or the tree of knowledge because God had to give them a choice. And they had to either choose to obey or choose to disobey. Trust God or not trust God. And that, you know, that entire, you know, moment uh, that which is really um, a pivotal part of, of history where Adam and Eve chose not to obey God starts a, you know, uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting distracted by the cat meowing outside my office here. Um, but it, it's, cat? you didn't know that I have a cat. Hold on a second. Well, we got it a couple of weeks ago. Hold on one oh, second. She's, I thought on. you were referring to like a kid. Being no, a not, not a cat, like a, like a cool guy cat. It's a actual cat. Hold on. <laughs> Silly. We're going to have a furry guest on the show. There's the cat. Oh, oh my gosh, it's real. Aww. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, oh, I'm done. Yeah. She was me on. Oh, and she's gone. All right, so just wanted to prove that to you really quick. So, I, thought, um, I thought you were trying to say like one of the kids was outside pretending to be a cat. <laughs> oh yeah, that would that could happen. That would happen, um, <laughs> but no, not this time. So um, well, anyway, so Adam and Eve's decision, you know, sets the stage for sin and death entering the world, and then um, you know we have this this huge story in the Bible, this build up to where the enunciation comes into play, right? And what happens? It's it's the same situation. Um, Mary is presented with a choice, you know, uh, do you trust God or not? 
And essentially, you know, the, the, the amazing part of it is the, is the simplicity of the, all of it, right? Which is just that she makes the choice to say, yes, yes, I will be open. Yes, I will trust God. Um, and that's why we celebrate this day. That's why we celebrate this moment so much. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I just thought, I don't know, I thought maybe people would find that interesting. That Does that make sense, the whole binary stuff? Sometimes I... Yes. I well, feel like also, I just go a little. I've also heard your hacking theology talk, oh. so I've heard you go mm -hmm. into depth on that. But yes, it does. It does make sense. So, as somebody who's heard Marcus's talk, um, it's called Hacking Catholicism, but his book is called. Hacking oh yeah, theology. you actually heard the entire right talk. Right. Yeah. So, okay. Um, so I'll explain if if this works. Uh, hopefully, um, from somebody who has heard Marcus talk about this before. Um, of course, Marcus is an expert on his own thoughts, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, I get nuts. I know. Sorry. Sometimes I'm like, does that make sense? And people are like, what did you just say? <laughs> so um, anyway, keep going. But in terms of a binary form of thought, I think you, you broke it down quite nicely. It's it's a yes or a no. Um, I mean, Mary couldn't have, think about it this way. Mary couldn't have been neutral on this decision. I mean, how would that have gone? What if the, the angel came to her and said, Hey, um, this is what's going to happen. Um, our savior is going to come into the world and you are going to mother him. And she had to respond. I mean, if she was neutral, then it would just be like, um, I don't know. Or she wouldn't say anything at all, which would be kind of a social. Well, attitude. anything other than yes is a no, right? Cause it, not right now is a no. Um, give me some time to think about it means no, I'm not ready. So that's uh, what I was getting at. She had to have a response. Right. Yeah. So, every, every, anything. So this is the whole point of, I guess, what I was getting at too, is that in computers, um, everything must be a yes or a no. There is no in between um, thing. And the, the amazing part of, or the amazing kind of, um, you know, mathematical aspect to that is that that's because, you know, philosophically, a thing can either exist or not it can't be really in the middle mm -hmm. um and in math you have a one or you have a zero which is significant because the zero is not a number it's actually representation oh, of the yeah. absence of the number exactly you have zero is i don't have a one it's not its own thing which is exactly what evil is evil is the absence of good evil is not its own thing it's the absence of a thing and a no is the absence of a yes, right? Um, you can't just exactly what you're getting to is you you don't have a, um, um, a there's no such thing as a kind of yes, right? Mm -hmm. If somebody says, will you marry me? If they don't say yes, then they're, they're saying no. But saying no is essentially um, saying, I won't do that. Even if you look at how um, we... Even our language kind of uh, describes this sort of inability to to demonstrate emptiness or nothingness, right? Because nothing is the uh, the word literally is made up with two words, no thing. We have to point to a thing and say that there is no thing, and that's nothing. Um, so in the same way, a, a no. Uh, is essentially you have to point to what the yes would be and say, I didn't do that, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, so like, like darkness is the absence of light. That's right. another concept in that same family. Exactly. Which is why, um, and this is, I, I'm bringing this up because Cassie brings up a, a really good question here. She Cassie. says, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah I forgot you knew Cassie. I, <laughs> I always, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. So, um, Cat still meowing out there. Can you hear the cat? No, I don't hear the cat. Really? Well, I don't so know if anybody funny. else can, but I don't. It's I mean, funny it's, that you're commenting on it. <laughs> I it, well, it's because I'm like I think everybody can hear because she's like <laughs> out there. I'm like I brought her in and I'm like yeah, come over here. And then she's like I'm out of here. And then <laughs> close the door. And then she's like but I want to come. It's like a kid. Um, all right. So she says if your choice, which you base, which you base on, um, oh that's all right, Cassie. I think I, I understood it. Um, she said she just realized. That's not even good English. Cassie, I thought you went to college now. Are you in college? <laughs> <laughs> Are you taking fun of her? I'm just, I'm just kidding. So ah, um, if your choice, which you base on your own uh, personal moral decision. Oh, thanks, Ian, for telling me that you don't hear the cat. I'm really it's I just feel like it's, it's weird if the cat's constantly meowing in the background. She already stopped anyway. But um, also, hi, Alicia Franco. I can't keep up with these people. <laughs> oh, how about also, hi. Marcus there, Cassie, you just, all right. Um, so she says, if uh, your choice, which you base on your own personal moral decision goes against the church, what does that mean in the overarching judgment of morality? So what I think you're saying, Cassie, and, and help me if I'm misunderstanding you, what I think you're saying is um, if you make a choice that um, is against what the church teaches is a good choice or, or a moral choice, um, so what does that mean as far as judgment for guilt? Is that what you mean? Like, um, I think an um, important piece of information we're missing here is, did you know that reality or did you not? So for example, um, the question that's coming to mind with her asking this question is I've heard before the argument that, um, well, what if someone has never even heard of God? Not Jesus, so, any, we'll, we'll answer those things, things but Cassie, if you don't mind clarifying, um, what your what the last part of it is where you say what does that mean for the overarching um, kind of judgment of morality? Do you mean like for a person's like personal you know judgment um, or? It's a good uh, question. You know, just, yeah, but but give us some clarification just so that we're answering the correct one. But Alicia, so what would you say to that uh, question of what if somebody's never heard of Jesus? I think that this is my own personal thought, not representing Catholicism itself as a whole but just what i think so i'm interested to see what your thoughts are too um i think that god is not limited by our limitations so he may have other means of grace to extend to that person um if this person has never known god i mean we have no way of knowing if they accepted him in some other way i'm not even sure what that means when i say it um, but I think that there's a possibility for him extending his grace to that person um, because for somebody who didn't have access to a Bible, a church, knowledge, whatever, um, that's, not, that's not their fault. Um, what is their fault is if they are presented with the knowledge of God and the need to accept Christ in their life, then, um, then they are sinning by turning away from that knowledge. But I think there's a gray area there based on how and what they were taught. Um, were they actually taught truth? 
So I will say that I think the Catholic Church does a very good job of reaching some surprisingly remote areas um, so that as many people as possible do have access to just a church where sacraments take place. So um, that's my very um, basic knowledge of that. But I'll, so I'll see what I, I want to after Cassie's. Yeah, I was going to say I want to answer that, but let's first get to classy. Uh, classy. Hey, your new name is Classy because <laughs> clarify was the first word that I was about. Anyway, Cassie says. Uh, to clarify my question, does that make your decision immoral if it contrasts the church, but you base it off your own sense of morality? So now I know what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So what Cassie is asking is, you know, what I feel to be the right thing contrasts what the church says to be the right thing. Uh, one of the probably the easiest examples to point to is contraception. There are a lot of people who... Um, I mean, there's actually a couple of different uh, really good examples that all involve issues of sexuality, um, probably because a lot of those are, are popular and a lot of people are debating them right now. But um, but if I feel like, you know, contraception is a good thing. So let's just say that, let's just say um, that I was married and I had four kids all under the age of seven. And, um, okay, wait. that's exactly the case. Um, <laughs> so let's just, let's say that, you know, I feel like I'm drowning, you know, like, um, they cost me a lot of money. They're writing on the walls. Um, they go through a lot of diapers and, you know, food groceries cost a lot more. Okay. So that's also a really true situation, but you know, what am I supposed to do if I feel like I can't handle another kid? You know, I feel like, um, the, the idea that contraception is bad if I'm trying to avoid having another child because I can't take on another child you know, that doesn't seem to jive with my personal feelings on the matter, my, my personal sense of morality. So what should I do in that case? And so to, to answer, this is, I mean, it's a great question because this is exactly what this topic is about, right? How to get through hard times um, by trusting God or, or how to trust God during the difficult times in your life. Um, so it's really, it's really a perfect scenario especially with contraception because contraception is is seemingly a small matter it, like it really if you look at it from a, a non-catholic's perspective it feels like such a trivial thing you know like i mean really is that is it that big a deal um that a person uses some kind of like rubber or whatever to prevent pregnancy um is that a big deal i mean it seems like that would be a responsible thing to do if you can't handle having more children, whether that be financially or for other, you know, serious reasons. Um, but the Catholic Church does make it a really big deal, right? We, we talk about this as it's, it is a very serious matter. Um, and it's, in fact, uh, you know, labeled as grave sin. So there's a couple of things that, that Alicia alluded to that, you know, can help us to kind of discern where you're, you know, where you are as far as, um, whether you're involved in, in grave sin or not. And the, the measures of, of you know, uh, mortal sin or grave sin are that you must know that, uh, you know, what it is that you're choosing. You must know that it's a grave sin and you must choose to do it anyway. And so morality has really everything to do with intention. Um, and 
you know, the, the choice or to, to intend to do what you know to be very, very wrong. That is something that only a person can know about themselves. And, you know, the only other person who would know is God. So only God can judge a heart and only you can judge your own heart. Now, I can't tell Alicia what her intentions are um, on any matter, even if, even if I'm, I'm, you know, fairly certain, I feel like I, I have all the, the data that I need to, to make a good, you know, uh, calculated assessment of whether or not she's intending to do something and, you know, she's making a, a, a you know, uh, mortal sin or whatever. I can't do that. I really can't do that. You know, the, the depths of a person are so, so deep that no other person can explore it. And I'm, I've been spending the last 10 years, um, 11, Let's see, Dan and I, 2000, 2007. Yeah, 11 years. So the the last 11 years I've been, you know, trying to like, you know, get a deeper understanding of my bride and I still don't have that completely and fully. And we know each other really, really well, you know, very, very well. Um, but I still wake up every day and I want to talk to her and she wants to talk to me and we and we will ask each other, what do you think about this? And how do you feel about that? And in 11 years, I still haven't completely figured her out. So there's no way that, you know, any person can look at another person and judge their heart or their intention. Diane always likes her video. She just, she just, well, she loves Oh, now it. she loves it. Um, <laughs> I have another yeah, example, so, if I may. Yeah, jump in. Um, I'm going to jump into this. So if you, could you put, I see a lot of people kind of jumping on and off. Could you put Cassie's comment back up? Yes. Um, we are talking about your sense of morality versus the church's teaching on morality essentially um, a more dramatic example that i thought of is there are some people who will kill a person and feel no remorse for it which you and i would agree that that's not healthy there's something wrong here um but um does that make the person right Hopefully, most most of us would say no, right? So the question that Cassie's really getting at, and if anybody else is kind of wondering this, is it's it's almost a lower to medium level of philosophy that I'll confess I, I haven't studied philosophy much, but what she's really getting at is objective versus subjective truth. So uh, it's, she's asking the question, um, essentially as a whole, is there only one truth. And I think that depends on what we're talking about here, but in terms of very yeah. grave moral issues, um, that's a question that we have to answer. Is the church objectively correct or are we being subjective here? So that <clears throat> that's a great assessment. And Cassie, here's a good way to think about it. You have um, objective stuff, right? Um, an objective truth, say like killing is bad. But, but there's no morality in something that's purely objective. Um, to say killing is bad, it may be an objective truth, but there's no morality in that, right? Because to say killing is bad is, is kind of meaningless unless you're talking about a specific instance, right? So a subject, a person, is where morality comes from, right? So... Um, Jesus said that it's not the things that come into us that defile us. It's the things that come from within us 
out of us that defile us, you know, that cause sin. So a subject has to interact with the object um, in order to, for, for morality to, um, you know, be a question. So in other words, we can say objectively killing is wrong, but there's no morality in that. The morality comes in when a person kills another person. And then it becomes, again, a, an issue, a matter of the subject. Now, what are the circumstances? You know, did, the, did that person intend to do something um, gravely sinful? Did they know that it was gravely sinful? And did they choose to do it despite knowing, having full knowledge of it being a grave sin? Um, so, you know, the easiest example are uh, that, you know, m- many people point to is, okay, if you somebody's under attack, like say somebody breaks into my house and attacks my wife, and, you know, they're, the attack is so aggressive that the only way I can stop them is by mortally wounding them, by killing them, you know, then I have not sinned, right? Because though murder is objectively sinful, um, protecting somebody uh, to the length of, of killing is, is not a grave sin, right? Because my intention was not to kill the person. You know, my intention was to protect my wife and if the only way I could protect my wife was to mortally, you know, wound the person because they essentially wouldn't stop the attack, um, then, you know, that's what I would do. But that is not my intention. That is a, it's a consequence. This is what we call unintended consequences or, um, you know, collateral damage, essentially, right? Uh, we, what we intend, go ahead. There's, there's a whole section in the Catechism of the Catholic Church on war. And right. um, the morality of war, and a lot and of this so, comes from Saint August, uh, Saint Augustine's. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure. I'm sure. Go this, ahead. Just um, worth it. This, um, what's the word? This. The bird assessment of truth. The bird is the word. I guess the word is the word I'm going to use. The assessment of, of truth, um, moral truth. Is that a is that a phrase that I can use? Moral truth. Um, mm-hmm is going to be in that section. So um, although it doesn't immediately come to mind, um, Cassie or anybody who's interested in that topic, I would recommend to read into that a little bit more. And also um, this could even be a whole nother show I'm thinking of. And I love when that happens. Um, Yeah. Right. uh, Cassie, I would say for, for your homework (laughs) because you're in college. So you probably have plenty of other homework anyway. Um, I would, I would look into, um, that section of the catechism and um, also look more into objective versus subjective truth. And is there really one truth that we should be following? I mean, it delves into a whole nother world of how many different denominations that we have, right? So um, I would say delve into some subjective versus objective truth and you have both of our emails. So I'd be interested to see what you learned from studying that a little bit more. That's my, my two cents or my four cents. Yeah. So, and the last thing that I'll say on that is that, um, you know, that's, that's a thing that again, every person has to explore for themselves. Um, the Catholic church, you know, provides the, the guidance and, and the teaching, but it's each person's job to assess their own heart and to ask that question. Um, you know, do I, is this something that, you know, um, I know to be good or, or bad. And, you know, what, what is the, where is my heart essentially in this? You know, there are many people who, if they've listened, they're listening to this and they heard for the first time that they they could be Catholic and 
and are hearing for the very first time that the Catholic Church teaches that um, contraception is is wrong or immoral. They're and what? you know exactly right. And so, um, and if that's the case, you know, then it, it uh, that being the case, you'd have to then it would be very easy to then say like, well, hold on a second, I didn't know that, so can I be held accountable for not knowing that? Right. Um, this is like you know, my kids, you know, they, there's a lot of things that they don't know um, that they're not supposed to do, but they do it anyway. Like we have a, a one-year-old about to be two years old. And he, yesterday he just broke my, a couple of things out of my wife's purse, you know, uh, makeup was everywhere. Um, then he later on got perfume and sprayed it right in his eyes. And, uh, you know, like, of course, like immediately I'm like, oh, no, you, what the heck? You know, but it's it's not his fault. Like he doesn't know what he's doing. He's exploring. Um, he's doing what <laughs> yeah, he thinks is, is OK. Um, but when he does something wrong, I don't hold him accountable in the same way that I do my seven year old. I don't hold him. You know, I don't I know that he doesn't have the understanding that my seven year old has. And my seven year old doesn't have the understanding that myself or my wife do. Right. And so I know, um, you know, sort of what's appropriate for them. And I, and I judge based on that. And obviously my almost two-year-old gets away with a ton of stuff. You know, the seven-year-old might look at him and be like, why does he get to, you know, how come he doesn't have to do push-ups? And I'm like, well, first of all, can't really do push-ups yet. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I don't, I don't punish him that way. Right. Cause I can't talk to him and explain to him and, and, um, in the same way that I can my seven-year-old and God sees us the same way. Cassie. So the first thing I would say is if you know that your personal, you know, feelings on some issue um, doesn't jive with what the Catholic church teaches, then use that as an opportunity to explore it. You know? And so I would say uh, worry less about, you know, what kind of state, well, not, don't worry, not, uh, don't not worry about what, hold on. Yeah, don't not worry about what state your your soul is in. Um, but what I, I guess what I'm saying there is worry less about, you know, the whole um, kind of like, well, you know, uh, what am I supposed to be doing here in this situation? Like if you're in a, in, in a marriage, you know, that let's just say you're in a relationship that the Catholic Church says is, is invalid or whatever, um, then I would I would worry more about, you know, trying to find the truth and figure out why it is that there's this disconnect. You see what I'm saying? Like, because um, there's a there's a whole lot of fruit to be found uh, when you find something out that you know um, again goes against what you think or what you feel. And very often this happens to me. Well, very this used to happen to me very often, where I would hear something about something, somebody would say something about the Catholic faith. Actually, you know what, this happened recently. Somebody sent me a, an article link about the Pope who said, you know, that hell, yeah, hell doesn't exist anymore. And I'm like, hmm, wait a second. Um, exactly. Like, okay. Right. Cause, cause I'm thinking, okay, well, first of all, this is a clear teaching of the Catholic church and the Pope, you know, being the, the primary servant and leader of the church, uh, we believe in something called, um, geez, I'm, I'm blinking. Help me out here. Uh, when the Pope error, he's not, he's prevented from error, infallibility. Okay, there we oh. go. I just had to search my, <laughs> I, my, right my after you did. I, I just had to search my eyelids. They were, it was written on it. Um, 
So the, the, the Pope, we believe, um, is infallible, which doesn't mean that everything he says is correct or good, um, but that the, the church prevents him from, you know, teaching error when he's teaching as the Pope, essentially, when he's addressing the whole faithful, you know, or the whole, um, the chair faith, of Peter, right. When he teaches from the chair of Peter, when he's, you know, um, addressing the, the people of the church and essentially saying, Hey, you know, this is, I'm going to teach on, on some kind of matter of faith or morals. This is what it is. Right. So if the church, if he comes in and he says that, you know, um, the, this is the, the decision on the debate here. We believe that, you know, Mary was, uh, assumed into heaven or that Mary remained a virgin. Then we believe that he's prevented from teaching error. So he also can't go back on something that they've already taught as clear teaching and reverse it and say, Hey, you know what? We got it wrong. This doctrine that we said was, you know, one of the primary beliefs of the Catholic faith is wrong and we're going to reverse it. Um, so, cause if that happened, well, then I would really have to question whether or not I should remain Catholic because that's one of the things that we believe cannot happen. And so here's what I did. I, I, instead of, you know, the, the kind of initial reaction to say like, Oh, wait a second. Like, I can't believe he said that. The first thing I want to do is go gather more information, go look into it. Right. If somebody tells you, um, that, you know, what you're doing is wrong or the church teaches something and you're wrong. The first thing I would do is I would go find the truth, right? Find out what the church actually teaches on the matter. Cause there's a lot of confusion from many people, even Catholics, Mm-hmm. on those kinds of things, right? So for example, the church does not teach that you're supposed to have as many babies as humanly possible and that there's no there's no way to um, prevent getting pregnant and having another child. So the church teaches that contraception is wrong, but does not say that avoiding having a child is necessarily wrong. And this is what, again, this is where I would say like, initially you might think like, oh man, I'm at odds with the Catholic church here. So, you know, am I in my immortal sin. Um, the first thing I would do is I would say, okay, hold on, before I make any kind of like, you know, uh, rash decisions, or before I let my mind run away and, and race off into the distance, let me first find out what the Catholic Church actually teaches about this, and find out why. Because what most people find out is that they, you know, naturally, we, we, we don't disagree with the Catholic Church's teachings. We don't disagree with the the basic, you know, principles of Christianity. We disagree with what we think they teach. You know what I mean? Um, we see or hear what the surface is. Go ahead, jump in. I was, was going to say that. Um, I, I guess the the conclusion that you're very quickly getting to is that um, when I was younger, I didn't understand sometimes why. I was getting in trouble or why what I was doing was wrong. So my parents say, you're grounded. Well, I don't understand. Why is that wrong? Um, And then as I grew older and I had more experience, I would understand more and more why my parents would discipline me. And so, you know, of course not all parents are good parents, but um, I realized as I got older that the church is like a good parent. Mm -hmm. And once you get to the point that you realize that your parents are good parents, I've gotten to that stage now where they'll tell me something and I'm thinking, what? And then I, I hope they're listening right now. That would be really proud. <laughs> but anyway, I got to a certain point where I said, it should be because you're making a great example. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> I, um, I realized, okay, 
I don't understand what they're saying, but uh, they're right, and I'm going to trust them. And the church is a step even further than that because we have the resources like um, the the Bible, we have uh, the Catechism, we have uh, Catholic Answers who researches who, professionals who research where to go to find the answers um, that you're looking for um, for those really really complex questions that you have. So. You know what you that's what a perfect example that you you just came up with because that actually does really summarize in a very concrete way what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. Little kids when when they say can I have some candy and you know parents say no 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 you know what little kids think is that my parents don't want me to have candy. They don't mm-hmm. want me to to enjoy candy, right? Yeah. That's that's their conclusion which happens this is what I'm saying I guess with with Cassie right you don't want to allow, you know, your initial reaction to be your conclusion, really dive in and figure out what's going on. Because what you would find is, you know, with good parents, right? Like this happens with me and, you know, our Diane and I and and our kids. It's not that we don't want them to have candy. We have to protect them from, you know, uh, their, their childish understanding of candy, which is that, you know, like, well, candy tastes good and it's better than, you know, vegetables and it's better than my other food. So, I'd rather just eat candy and chocolate all day. And they don't know all the consequences that are involved there, right? They don't know that they have to eat the good foods uh, to be healthy, uh, to avoid sickness and to grow and to get, you know, for their brain to develop and so on and so forth. I know that. Mm-hmm. And so if, if their conclusion is, well, my, you know, my dad doesn't, my mom doesn't want me to be happy. They don't want me to have candy. They know how much I love candy and they just, you know, all they say is no candy, candy's bad, and you're going to go to hell if you eat candy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is how people feel about the Catholic Church. And this is how mm-hmm. people feel about God. But the reality is that God, like you're, you know, amazingly um, pointed out, is a, is a good parent that is protecting us. And so the laws that we're given are not to prevent us from being happy. They're to protect us from, you know, ourselves sometimes, you know, our, our childish understanding mm-hmm. of how we think we're going to be happy. One, right? of my, one of my favorite examples is um, speaker Jason Everett, where he talks about a memory that he has chasing his young son around. I mean, he had to be like two or three or something like that. And uh, he notices that the freezer's open. And uh, I don't know, we'll just say his, his son's name is John, right? And he says, John. <laughs> and he hears, hee hee hee, and he hears him running around. And um, he finds him with uh, a tub of ice cream. And he's just sitting there eating the ice cream out of the tub of ice cream. And he's running around. He's like, you can't catch me, dad. You can't catch me. And he finally catches it. And he takes the ice cream away from him. He says, son, you're lactose intolerant. (laughs) (laughs) So um, sometimes we're just having so much fun. And we we forget that sometimes we do know. Um, But um, I just thought that was a little little fun. No, that's that's an awesome example of... um, you know, a parent who, again, is not trying to prevent their kids from happiness, but rather than, you know, preventing them from disaster, right? So that you can have the opportunity to choose happiness. Um, Which is amazing that Mary saw so far past that, that she trusted God so much. She said, I don't understand this. I'm not even married. (laughs) She got choked up just like that? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't understand this. And I, I'm not even married. I don't, I don't know how this is even possible, but may it be done to me according to your word. What an amazing example. That's just so cool. 
And that really is the the answer to the question: How do you get through difficult times? And and Cassie, your your question was um, fantastic because it helped us to to really drive there in a in a you know very powerful way, um, which is circle. yeah exactly. Which is that um, you know the your own sense of morality must be developed, but the way that it has to be developed should not be based on you know, these strict principles of, you know, what you have to do or what, you know, you don't have to do, um, you know, the, the sort of, um, what do you call it? The, I forget what, uh, the like word or, or phrase is for it, but like, a like legalistic, there you go. You shouldn't, your faith should not be legalistic. Um, obedience you, is a good thing, but it shouldn't be absence of love. Well, right. So you, so to be legalistic though is what? Say it again. I I mixed up my words. What did you say? I said it shouldn't be absence. I meant to say it shouldn't be absent of love. Oh, hmm. I missed that. Normally I catch those. Um, I'll do better next time. So, right. But you don't you don't want to be legalistic, which is legalistic. Simply means that you focus only on the legal aspect of it, right? Um. Am I am I good? Yes or no? Well, let me see. Let me look at all the information and data, and let me just you know check all the boxes and find out where it's kind of like those those you know website survey things, like find out what celebrity you are, you know, where you you check out your different things about your personality, and it's like, oh, you're a you know I don't know whatever. I'm I don't I don't do those, so I don't even know what they. Anyway, but <laughs> if you if you look at it from a purely legalistic you know point of view, then you're going to have problems, right? Because you're going to be so concerned with um, all the laws and the regulations. And, and sometimes people get into this. This is like the whole Pharisee thing, you know, um, this happens it, to many people, especially as you learn more theology and philosophy and, and you get really wrapped up in that kind of thing. Um, you know, you don't worry, you know, too much about that because the reality is that you are a child and you're a part of the family of God. And being in that family, your your job really is not always to know, but to trust. So you can always make a decision to say yes, based on trust. And when my kids do that, I reward them handsomely because um, when they trust me, they allow me to protect them. They allow me to set them up for success. I don't mind explaining to them, but many times they can't, they don't get it right. They don't, they don't grasp some of the complexities uh, of life. And it's going to take them years and years to grow into that understanding. But right now, even at four, three years old, at five years old or six years old and seven years old, right now they have the ability to trust before they, you know, have the ability to, to have full knowledge of something and to really understand it um, intellectually, they have the ability to trust. They can trust, right? When I throw them up into the air, um, you know, they, they know that I will catch them. And so, you know, they can, choose to trust and have fun in that moment, they don't worry too much about the complexities like we do as adults. And so what I would say to, to Cassie and to anybody else who might be going through some difficult time is, you know, you will drive yourself nuts if, you're, if your only hope is to search for the answers. And if you don't have the answers, um, you know, then you won't have the peace. The problem is that you're, you're being set up, <laughs> right? You're, you're, you're falling for the trap um, which is that, you know, trust inherently has to be absent of the answers. Otherwise, it's not trust. 
I have to go to work every single day, not knowing exactly what my wife is doing, right? She could drop the kids off somewhere and she could go and she could see another guy. I don't know that she's not doing that. And so if I set up cameras and tracking on her phone and all of those things to make sure that she's not doing that so that I would know, then what happens is there's there's no trust. There's a lack of trust, right? For trust to be present, there must be a lack of knowledge. For me to truly trust my wife, I have to go to work and not know exactly what she's doing at any moment, right? That absence of knowledge must be present in order for me to have an opportunity to trust uh, her. And it's the same thing with our relationship with God. One time I remember somebody uh, asked, you know, why why God doesn't just show himself if, if God is real and exists and why doesn't he just show himself? And I'm like, well, Saint you know, Thomas. because what? Tom, oh, doubting Thomas? doubting Thomas. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and I remember like the, having to really kind of think about that question for the first time, I thought, well, I guess, you know, it would be because then it would be, it would be too easy. Like you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have a choice to believe right in God. You wouldn't have to, because he'd be there. The problem is you also couldn't make a choice to do something bad. I mean, imagine if you're all by yourself and you're browsing the internet and you're thinking about looking up some pornography or, or something else along those lines, and you start typing it, and then you're like, oh, you know, God is right there next to you. And you're like, oh, hey, God. And, you know, hit the backspace button to do, you know. Um, he's like, what were you about to do? Like, nothing, nothing. I wasn't going to do anything. That the, if God was there, like, you wouldn't have, you couldn't choose to do the, the wrong thing because you wouldn't have an opportunity to, right? So God actually gives us space in order to provide us the opportunity um, to make the leap of faith and to trust him. Um, because if, you know, he was, uh, there ever present, you know, uh, for us and in all his glory and power and all that stuff, um, then we would have no choice, but to surrender, you know, knowing that we have, you know, no power compared to him, knowing that we, we can't truly, you know, have a time to be alone where we think we are alone and make the choice to do something wrong, um, or right or whatever, you know what I mean? It's kind um, of like uh, I need to make a Disney reference here. <laughs> oh, I I would love that. Um, you remember in Aladdin when mm-hmm. uh, he finds the genie and he says, "All right, I'm going to give you all these wishes, but I can't make anybody fall in love with anybody else." Yeah. Well, everybody listening, why do you think that is? Because it's not real love if you're forced to do it. Because it removes choice exactly. Um. And so why, why was I talking about, I totally just, you got me thinking about Aladdin. Now I have the song, <laughs> oh my, in my head. Um, why was I talking about the whole God showing up thing? And Because it would be too easy. Yeah, but why was I? Right oh, I know. Because, right, because the, the whole purpose of life is, um, you know, that trials are, presentations of you know the opportunity to trust and this is this exactly we're back to the binary thing the series of yeses or nos all of life is a series of choices yeses or nos and in every in every moment in every instance you must constantly um, train your will to trust to say yes lord you know and you can only do that if you don't know right if you don't know the ending if you don't know what's about to come um, 
there's no such thing as gambling, you know, if you know what the cards are, right? There's no such thing as in investing um, in potential if you already know the future, right? It's it's a it's cheating. It, there's there's no there's no life in that, you know. Uh, you know, Cassie's comment is still on your face. <laughs> it's not on my face. Boom. So, but anyway, the, the, the point is that that's how you get through difficulty is first you need to understand that difficulty is not resolved. Peace does not come through knowledge. It comes through trust. It comes by a choice. Um, if Adam and Eve had, you know, full knowledge of what exactly was going on with, you know, the serpent, um, and if he was, if they already knew, like, they could like see out into the future and say like, Oh, well, if I did this and this is what would happen. And if I did that, that's what would happen. Um, then it, it, there would be no opportunity for trust. And the, the choice matter would be totally defunct, right? Why put the tree there? If they don't actually have a choice where they they don't know what's going to happen, um, choose to obey or choose to disobey. And in every moment of your difficulty, you must continue to choose to obey, to remain faithful. Um, and then what happens is that when you do that, just like I do with my kids, you become rewarded, your trust becomes validated. And when that happens, then the next time that you have a trial, all you have to do is remember, remember, right? We, this is what we talked about at the very beginning of the show. Why does the church give us these um, uh, solemnities and these holy days of obligation, um, all of these rituals? Because the church wants us to remember, remember the choice that Mary made and remember what happened to her, right? She's assumed into heaven. God takes her up into heaven, body and soul. Um, she's rewarded for that trust, right? You know, just like she said, all generations will call me blessed. We continue to do that for thousands of years, you know, after, after her one act of simple trust and saying yes. And, um, and so, Rely on on your remembrance of your past victories when you trusted and you were that trust was validated, but also recognize that you know while we can't tell the future, we can read the past and we can learn from the past. And when we see other people in past in the past, like Mary, um, choose to trust when they didn't know, and then their trust become validated, we can take solace and confidence in that, and that's how we get through our own difficulties and our own tribulations in our faith. So I'm being asked to go. I dinner. think the food food's calling you, right? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, that was great. Cause that's uh that would be my last thought. And uh, Sarah, thank you for your hearts. I know they're meant for Alicia, but Aww. you know, <laughs> my still. <number> one fan. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take half of one of those. <laughs> yeah. One so, for each of us. Anyway, um, Alicia, great um, show. Thank you. Go ahead. Yeah, your last thought. Sure. Um, any closing thoughts? If anybody has any other questions, um, you can email Marcus Sarai. Marcus is Marcus at thirstingfortruth.com. And Correct. I am alicia.franco at thirstingfortruth.com. So uh, we would love your suggestions. If you guys have any suggestions for other shows, we're always open to that. And um, I'm excited to keep doing. I'm excited <laughs> that we're on our 28th episode. Thank you for dressing up mm -hmm. for the occasion, Marcus. Oh yeah, I just I didn't unspiff is what happened. So, but yeah. Anyway, um, Cassie, yeah, thanks for your interaction. Thanks, Cassie. Thanks, Sarah, for your hearts. Uh, Val, thank you for your interaction, and Ian Dunwall, thank you as well. Yeah, and thank you, uh, thanks for and filling also, my spot last 
We appreciate it. Yeah. And so for everybody that watched and listened, we appreciate you guys as well. Thanks. We'll see you next week. See you, Alicia. Go get some food. <laughs> Bye.